Hey folks, Ivan here. Just letting you know that with our Patreon page, we do say that it's free until the 1st of May 2020, but we've decided due to this ongoing coronavirus situation that uh, we thought we'd extend it till June the 1st of 2020. So just thought we'd give you a bit of a heads up before you listen in. Uh, this episode was recorded last week, so things have changed since then. So yeah, head on to patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C if you want to do a free pledge on the $1 or $2 a month, and you pay nothing until the 1st of June 2020. Enjoy the episode. Where's the car? Well, I, I thought it was here. You don't know where we parked? Right. <laughs> this is great. Look, I thought it was green 22. I remember orange. I thought it was orange. I didn't pay attention. Oh, this is just what I mean. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We are a Seinfeld podcast, and every week we take a random Seinfeld episode and examine the secondary characters from it. I am one of your hosts, Stephen. And I'm the other host, Ivan. And this week we're doing a season three episode, a uh, bottleneck episode, or a fishbowl episode, The Parking Garage. That's right. Our second bottleneck in a row, Steve. Season three, episode six of Seinfeld, and I guess some would say a very famous bottleneck episode. Of- yeah, this is when the bottleneck episodes, I mean, the Chinese restaurant was uh, this season as well. Uh, uh, oh, actually, actually. That was season two, yes. yeah. This is when they really started to sort of become a known part of Seinfeld. And yeah, I would agree that this is a classic episode. And because it was a Larry David penned episode, Steve, there's uh, lots of secondary characters, even though they're uh, very brief. Yeah, definitely. Lots of secondary characters, but not a lot of room to really flesh them out. I mean, a parking garage is not really the sort of environment where you can have, you know, a character, a secondary character at the start of the episode all the way through to the end of the episode, because most people in a parking garage are just walking from the shops to their car. They're not hanging out, spending time with the car for to sort of develop a relationship except the security guard who we'll talk about a bit later yeah definitely uh if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com you can say hello on social media we're on twitter instagram facebook and reddit uh you can listen to all of our previous episodes as well as our b podcast curbcast wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to help us out you can leave a five-star review uh, really helps us out with visibility and letting other seinfeld fans know about what we're doing and uh finally as of a couple of weeks ago we have relaunched our patreon that's right patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask, you do get early access to next week's Bidwabask episode and exclusive access to Curbcast Season 2. And uh, right now, Stephen and I, we're pinning Season 11, the follow-up to our Season 10 podcast. That'll come out in May or June of this year. So uh, we'd like to thank our current patrons as of recording, Tim, Holly, Nakia, Jeff, and our latest Patreon. Her name is Kelly. So thank you very much for your uh, donations there. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. And right now, due to the COVID-19 situation around the world, we are offering Patreon. We have two tiers, $1 and 2 and usually the $2 tier gives you access to all that bonus content um, but we are offering the same content for our $1 tiers and we're offering it for free between now and May the 1st of this year so if you sign up you get all the perks that we just mentioned for free and we won't charge you till May 1st. Yeah that's right so if you want a bit of extra uh, content to kill all the extra time that you might have if you're working from home or uh, one of the unfortunately unemployed people out there then yeah head over to our Patreon and check it all out And we have a uh, catalogue of some Seinfeld and non-Seinfeld related bonus stuff too so check that out yeah movie reviews and i think there's an interview or two in there and all sorts of stuff so 
Yeah, check it out. Finally, if uh, you are a Facebook user and you want to be part of our Seinfeld group, Seinfeldisms, you can check that out. Just type Seinfeldisms into Facebook. Uh, we've just ticked over as of yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. So as of Easter Sunday, we have ticked over just over 50,000 members, which is just mind-blowing. Massive. Because the other day you were saying like 45,000 or something. Yeah, yeah. We get about two and a half-ish thousand members a week. So I was expecting it to tick over 50,000 this weekend and uh, it happened. So if you are a Seinfeldisms member, thank you for your support. Thank you for keeping it fun and keeping it awesome. And uh, if you want to join the fun, like I said, just head over to Facebook and time, type in Seinfeldisms. Uh, in a week or two, we'll most likely be the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook, which again is just really, really awesome. So thank you. Yes, I think you're only 4,000 away from the biggest group. Yeah, yeah. No Seinfeld group for you, which has been the biggest for quite a while. And um, I certainly didn't start Seinfeldisms with the intention of being any sort of group. I just thought it would be fun. And uh, yeah, it just sort of started to grow and grow and grow. And here we are. So yeah, if you, uh, if you want to help us out and, and be the biggest group, then head on over. Indeed. Anyway, mate, let's get on with the show. So Seinfeld-isms, my man, it's the uh, namesake of your Facebook group. What happened in your world which intersected Seinfeld in real life in your situation? So last week was the first week in a while that I had no Seinfeldisms, much to my disappointment. So I was really, really trying to find something this week. It's a bit harder when you're sort of locked inside most of the time. You know, you're not out there interacting with the world. So there's less chance of a Seinfeldism happening. But luckily the other day, my partner was sitting next to me working on her laptop and she was using a program called Canva and I happened to just look over when she was typing something or designing something and I noticed one of the fonts uh, is called Steinfeld. Cool. Yeah, so fortunately it doesn't look like the Seinfeld font which I discovered recently actually as well uh, that uh, it's not a font unique to Seinfeld. I always thought it was. I thought it was a font designed for the show but it's actually quite an old classic font that they used um, for the show when they were designing the logo I guess you know in 89 and 90. Wow, goodness me so <laughs> that's quite a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any Seinfeldisms for you? No, none this week unfortunately. Uh, so what about Seinfeld news, mate? Do you have any news articles this week? Yeah, I've got three pieces of news this week. Uh, kicking off with some pretty big news. The next Jerry Seinfeld stand-up special for Netflix has been announced. It's called 23 Hours to Kill, and it comes out on May 5, so about three weeks away as of recording. Lovely. Yeah, it was filmed at the Beacon Theatre in New York uh, earlier this year. He It was part of a series of shows that Seinfeld had booked, and I think it was actually breaking records for attendance and the amount of shows at that particular venue, but that had to be cut short due to the COVID-19 situation. So the next best thing is filming uh, one of the sets and releasing it on Netflix. And this is the final stand-up special in the uh, deal that Seinfeld, that Jerry signed, uh, I think it was in 2017, 2018, for $100-odd million for two stand-up specials and one documentary. So this is the final thing for that deal. Very good. Maybe we should do a review on it for our uh, Patreon subs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so just a quick reference for the title. So like I said, it's called 23 Hours to Kill. And at first I was scratching my head. I'm like, what? You know, I couldn't figure out what that meant. Um, but doing a bit of research tells me that uh, Jerry Seinfeld has said in the past that a comedian's job is uh, one hour of stand-up and then the other 23 hours of the day you have to kill. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's in reference to. Very good. The second bit of news is kind of, in a way, a follow-up to a news piece that I reported last week. Uh, I said last week that Larry David recorded a hilarious PSA um, for the Californian governor um, about COVID-19 quarantine and social distancing and all the necessities uh, required this day and age. Excellently, JLD has actually jumped on board as well, joining Larry. So on Instagram through the week, she posted a video uh, where she's applying makeup in one of those, I think they're called celebrity seats, you know, the the makeup, like the classic kind of like Hollywood seats with the light bulbs around the mirror. Mm -hmm. they, they've, they've got a specific name. Anyway, she's looking in the mirror and she's applying makeup and then she turns around to the camera and she kind of looks like a clown makeup, like way too much foundation and big red lipstick. She's talking to the camera uh, saying that normally she has makeup artists, but because of the, the situation 
situation with COVID-19, they're all at home and she's resorting to doing her own makeup, which is the right thing to do. So she looks like uh, so Phoenix's Joker at the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, if you just head to her Instagram, I think it's just instagram.com forward slash Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you can check out that video. It's it's uh, really, really funny. And it's delivered in a normal, like, deadpan kind of way nice. while she's applying lipstick all over her face. That's uh, pretty good stuff. California, so many celebrities can promote what you want. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Never thought of that, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, uh, the mayor of California has uh, all those people at his disposal. That's right. Keeping it in California, the third and final bit of news this week, a former home owned by Jerry Seinfeld uh, in the in the Hollywood Hills has actually been listed on the housing market. Uh, probably not the best timing, but maybe that end of the market isn't affected by, by normal economic downturns, I'm not sure. But it's been listed for $26.5 million. Like I said, it used to be owned by Jerry. It's currently owned by the creator of Grand Theft Auto, and I think he's the owner of Rockstar Games, maybe, or oh, one of the owners. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. Jerry bought it in 2012, I think, and he sold it, I think, in 2000. And, oh, sorry, in 2010, I should say. Okay. And he bought it for 15 and a half million dollars. So in the 10 years since, it's gone up by nearly double. So it seems that end of the real estate market is not really affected. I remember after the the global financial crisis, you know, obviously the housing market as well as every other market took a massive nosedive, mm. but high end real estate just kept going up and up and up and up and up. And this seems to be the same situation where you know that end of uh, real estate or that sort of level of, of life doesn't really seem to be affected by everything else. Of course. Well, actually, funnily enough, when I was in LA a couple of years ago, my cousin who lives there, they took me to the Hollywood Hills and they actually showed me the house that Jerry lived in while they were filming Seinfeld. Oh, so okay. It, I think in like the early 90s, maybe, you know, when he was starting right. to make money and then he sold it in like 2000, 2001. So like, I think, I think okay. they told me like straight after Seinfeld ended or just like a year or two later, he went back to New York. Yeah. So they showed me well, the house. Probably- I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty nice. <laughs> it was probably one of his many houses at the time. I'm sure he just spent filming time in LA and then went back to New York, uh, yeah, you know, uh, right. when it wasn't filming. So, yeah. yeah. That was really interesting. That'd, it was a nice, nice surprise too. Yeah. No, that is a really cool surprise. Mm. Definitely family family members you want to keep. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. They're Seinfeld fans too, so it works out. Indeed. And uh, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's have a really quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about some secondary characters from the famous season three episode, The Parking Garage. Today, Steve, I have notes on Michelle, the Scientologist who drives uh, George Elaine and Jerry around for a bit. Get out! Get out! No, I didn't mean to mention about Lil Ron Hubbard like that. Um, I don't even know Lil Ron Hubbard. Lil Ron Hubbard, yeah. I've got notes also on the security guard who catches Jerry with his uromycetosis and uh, the mother and the kid. Yeah, I've also got a couple of notes on the bodybuilder, uh, the man in the Mercedes who <laughs> George wusses out on, uh, as well as the man who just bluntly declines helping Elaine, which I think is hilarious. Don't you get I any just satisfaction for helping a fellow human being? No. No. <laughs> no. He's just so blind. Love it. He just doesn't care. I love it. Anyway, let's take a really quick break and we'll come back and talk about those characters. Hello, listening people. Hello. I'm Ryan. I'm Bartek. And we are from the Spit and Polish Presents podcast. Bartek, what kind of podcast is that? We talk about film. Ryan. Films? Films. Films, Ryan? Films, Ryan. Films by me, Ryan Slowinski. <laughs> One film per episode in three different formats. Exactly right, Bartek. And we're the only podcast that happens to be spitting and being Polish while we do it. We discuss the movies that few dare to discuss. You can find us on all of the social medias except for Instagram and MySpace except for Instagram and the unused MySpace, 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 We are on Minecraft though. (laughs) We're not, but I think my brother is. Basically, any platform in which you can find a podcast, Spit and Polish Presents, you'll find us. 
The Parking Garage was Season 3, Episode 6 of Seinfeld, and this one first aired in the United States on October 30th, 1991, directed by Tom Sharones and written by Larry David. In this episode, having gone to a mall in Jersey so Kramer can buy a new air conditioner, George, Jerry, Elaine and Kramer find themselves unable to find their car when they're ready to go home. George has an outing with his parents at 6.15 that night, Jerry is in dire need of the bathroom, and Elaine's repeated attempts to get help from other shoppers are a dismal failure, and she's trying to keep her goldfish alive. The fish! The fish! <laughs> um, other secondary characters include Cynthia Ettinger, she plays Michelle, David Dunnard plays the security guard, Carlisle King plays the mother, and Adam Wiley plays the kid. Bit of trivia about the episode, some really interesting ones for this one, Steve. Did you know that the set for Jerry's apartment and the studio audience seating had to be removed to make room for the parking garage set? Yeah, I did know that. Apparently it cost them $80,000 to uh, build the parking garage set. Also, they, if you notice, and I didn't notice this until I heard about it there's no except when the mercedes is parked over the two uh car parks there's no actual parking lines oh is that right oh yeah that's yeah that's true yeah i should have noticed that too yeah yeah and it's it was because they had to rearrange the set you know to film from different angles to make it look like a, a larger complex they didn't want to paint lines and then rearrange the set and all the lines would be all wacky and and uh you know out of line so they just thought bugger it we'll we'll put in no lines and that way we could rearrange the set and there's no you know like lines crossing over each other or broken lines or anything weird and you and people who watch this must be thinking wow this is a massive studio lot actually mirrors and different camera angles were used to create the illusion of a multi-level garage yeah and apparently i heard as well uh that there's some some scene, I didn't actually do it myself, which is surprising because normally I'm the one to do this sort of thing. Uh, if you pause certain scenes right in the background, you have to pause it right in the, you know, in the correct frame. You can actually see the core force reflection, like, you know, behind cars in the very background. But unless you pause and really look out for it, you can't really, you know, you don't really notice it. Yeah, it goes to show that it was uh, really well done, the uh, set design. Yeah, no, it, you know, the, the ingenuity and of the, you know, of the uh, production team to sort of make do with what I'm sure in terms of floor space wasn't actually a big set to sort of, you know, set up camera angles and mirrors and, you know, and, and redesign the set as they were filming just to make it look like a massive complex is, uh, you know, is definitely something that should be applauded. Astounding. What do you have, mate? In the episode, you'll notice that uh, Kramer is, well, for the first half at least, is uh, carrying around an air conditioner. You would think that they would just sort of fill a box up with sand or something to uh, make it heavier, but Michael Richards insisted that they actually put a real air conditioner in there to make his struggle look real, which I thought uh, think is awesome. That is much like the episode where Kramer goes to the laundromat and you know how it was meant to be like concrete that he was meant to put in the uh, in the washing machine and he actually used real yeah. concrete. I think it, it helps with Michael's physical ability as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do like that. It's sort of a commitment to the physical comedy. Yeah. You know, even though even though for, you know, he's only carrying the air conditioner for like the first third, it's not really like a major prop. It, it, like, I don't know, it, even though it's in, you know, one or two scenes and he falls over only once and he kind of struggles with it for only five or ten minutes of the episode, just the fact that he's still willing to do that just for that small amount is, is um, you know, I respect that a lot. Absolutely, man. Well, um, also, the ending to this episode was actually improvised. So it turns out that the core four were actually meant to go in the car. Kramer was meant to start the engine and then drive, but they couldn't find the exit. But um, they actually had trouble uh, starting the car, and that was for real. And, and you actually, if you notice, Steve, and you know how you pause and stuff, you know, looking at different things, you can actually see Jason and JLD go out of character and start laughing when the car doesn't start. Have you know? Did you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, JLD's yeah. actually got her head tilted away from the camera and you can see jason kind of go out of character and start laughing yeah you know i think the the you know the tv gods intervened then and thought we just need one final awesome joke just to like really really punctuate the frustration of that whole day you know finally they're they're getting in the car and they're getting out of there even though they're all running late
delayed and the goldfish are dead. One final frustrating thing to happen. I yeah, I just love that. Hey. Fate. I'm not a believer in fate, but if I were, I would believe that it was uh, you know that that was fate. You couldn't write a better ending for the episode. No, 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 definitely. The episode was ranked uh, number 33 uh, on TV Guide's 1997 list of 100 greatest TV episodes of all time. So that's not just uh, episodes of all time of Seinfeld, but TV episodes of any series, and, which is yeah. pretty astounding and considering. Look, yeah, considering, yeah, I know the, the the TV shows at the time, you know, were still pretty seminal. Yeah, and also in 1997, you still had a couple of seasons. Well, you still had one and a half, depending on when it was in 97. You still had one or maybe two seasons of Seinfeld left. Mm. But you know, I, I haven't read the list, but I would imagine that you know they they would have bypassed maybe like the contest and you know the marine biologist and and the opposite and like all the classic episodes that would normally appear high on those lists. I mean, like we said at the start, this is a classic episode, but you rarely see it in like the best ever Seinfeld episodes or just general TV episodes. So yeah, obviously whoever wrote that list is a massive fan of this one in particular. Absolutely. And it's crazy how since 1997, television has been revolutionized so many times. We've seen HBO come in, then Netflix, and you know, there's all these different shows that have come out. Do you think if they did a survey now of the 100 greatest episodes of all time, would the parking garage be in there? I don't think so. No. no. I think the contest, no, look, maybe the marine biologist would be there. Maybe the opposite. Yeah, I think I think the contest would for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's always usually the the top episode in best Seinfeld episodes ever in in most lists, um, or at least the top sort of three. So I would be very surprised if that wasn't. And you know, maybe two or three other episodes. But yeah, I mean, like you said, in the late nineties, early two thousands, when you know, when sort of Oz and The Sopranos revolu- when HBO revolutionized TV, there's been more quality television in the last twenty years than there has in the preceding, you know, probably fifty or sixty years. So I think it would be very like two thousands until now heavy yeah very yep do you have any other trivia uh just one more the first episode not to be filmed in front of a live audience was the parking garage yeah understandable obviously it's pretty hard to have a, a studio audience on such a set especially when they're moving it around so much you know you kind of uh you, you know if you set up a studio audience and then they move the whole parking garage around obstructing their view it's kind of pointless absolutely anyway should we talk about some secondary characters my friend sounds good let's start with michelle the scientologist she was played by cynthia ettinger she's appeared in the films silence of the lambs deep impact and licensed to wed uh, the only note i really had was that she's a scientologist yeah i was thinking about her as a scientologist and you know why she's so nice to to them i think maybe you know because i don't know any scientologists and if you are a scientologist i don't want to uh characterize you as something that you might not be but the stereotype is that you know because it is considered by a lot of people to be a cult that they're always kind of trying to recruit new members like i don't think they have a lot of members just turning up to their doors to join it seems to be more of like a recruitment based system so maybe she saw you know at least george who's the one who mostly talks to her as a potential scientology recruit and you know he makes it very obvious that he is not a fan or you know he whatever he says about scientology and l ron hubbard uh, hubbard obviously pisses her off but i'm thinking maybe she had an agenda at the start you know maybe she wasn't just being nice to be nice maybe she's like you know i've got an in because george george is kind of like you know he comes up to her sort of hat in hand saying look we're you know we're in a bit of a bind can you help us out and unfortunately a lot of people who recruit for cult-like religions tend to go for people who are down and out or are in a bit of a vulnerable situation because it's easy to sort of manipulate them. So yeah. don't want to say that all Scientologists do that all the time. I'm sure there are plenty of people who don't or plenty of Scientologists who don't. But if we're working with the stereotype of sort of cult members and Scientology in general, that's kind of, you know, just to sort of flesh out a character a bit more, that's what I'm thinking maybe her, the thought at least crossed her mind, I think. So it's fair to say that she saw that George was very vulnerable and uh, she probably thought that he'd be a good in for Scientology. I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, it, like George was a bit vulnerable in the moment, like he was sort of coming up to her to ask her a favour. He was obviously a bit stressed out because he was worried about being late, uh, picking up his parents. And he got but, fined for urinating you know, 
urinating as well, like Jerry. And you got fined for urinating. (laughs) And anyone who can read people, I think it would be pretty easy to perceive that George is kind of weak-minded and is easily, you know, he's strong-willed about a lot of things, about uh, about penny-pinching and about sort of being a liar. But he's got a pretty weak sense of self and he's got a pretty weak mind. And I think if you're perceptive enough, you could read that pretty quickly. You know, like sometimes you can just sense something about a person as soon as you meet them, like on the spot. And I think maybe she sensed that beyond him just being vulnerable in that situation in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, But like I said, George, obviously, I don't know how he got onto Scientology so quickly, but he obviously, you know, ruffled her feathers and maybe she was pissed off at herself too because she misjudged him as a potential recruit and, and kicked him out. So I think she was angry because he criticized L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. She might have been pissed off at herself a bit too because she, you know, misjudged him as a potential recruit as well. Yeah, she thought that he was ripe for the picking, but he turned out to be a bad apple. A bad Yeah, if you exactly. Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm just trying to think of George as I, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about Scientology. I know bits and pieces, you know, I've read bits and pieces over time and it all, for me personally, it all seems a bit kooky, especially the real like sort of L. Ron Hubbardy stuff about aliens and like, you know, planets and, you know, there's souls who live forever. And just, it, it just seems like sci- bad science fiction more than, you know, like a genuine faith. But I, I feel like someone like George, if he was hooked in, if the, if the hook was correct, if, if, if someone knew how to like really reach him at a deep level. I think they could like convince him about all of the, you know, all of the sort of more wacky stuff when it comes to Scientology. I think he, if he was in the right frame of mind and, you know, the circumstances sort of worked out correctly, I think he could be one of those real like proper converts to such a unorthodox belief system, I guess we could say. Going from Latvian orthodox to unorthodox. Yeah. I mean, if he's willing to convert religions just for a woman that he is kind of keen on, um, Mm. you know, imagine what he'd do, you know, like imagine... I don't know. I'm just I'm just sort of thinking in the moment. I reckon he would have if he didn't criticize L. Ron Hubbard and he got along with Michelle and, you know, he got a number or something like that. I reckon he would have converted to Scientology to, uh, you know, just to impress her if he's willing to convert to Latvian Orthodox. Goodness me. Oh, well, actually, he wasn't Latvian Orthodox at the time. Now I mentioned he does it a bit later, but I'm just saying I assume he was like, you know, his mother was Jewish and his father's Italian. So I assumed he was probably Jewish. But going from like, Judaism to Scientology just for a girl, I think he could certainly do it. But but imagine if he was a Scientologist trying to get out to be a Latvian Orthodox. That'd be a bit tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's tons of stories about what Scientologists do to ex-Scientologists, especially if they leave Scientology and sort of speak out about what it was like in in that religion some of the some of the the stuff that they do is is horrible like they they like they harass them and stalk them and threaten them and just it's really really horrible stuff so if george left scientology uh yeah i reckon he would have been subject to a whole lot of horrible stuff well luckily uh he said the wrong thing at the right time and uh, he got out so i guess he was saying yeah one of, yeah one of the only times that him putting his foot in it was actually a good thing for him usually it usually gets him into trouble but this sort of uh you know even though he wanted to date uh, an attractive redhead uh it worked out for him Absolutely. And it's funny because Jerry was the one that first spotted her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I like how George is really frustrated. I can't remember what happens in the preceding episodes, but maybe he hasn't had like uh, much luck with women leading up to this because even Jerry just sort of saying, hey, check her out. Like he's not even saying go up to her. He's just saying, hey, like there's a there's a hot woman. Check her out. Yeah. George is like, you're killing me. Like just the idea of looking at a hot woman is just like, it's too much. <laughs> so yeah, he must have been on a bad run with women. Maybe. Do you have anything else about Michelle? No, that's all I have. But yeah, very much like the other secondary characters very brief appearance yeah yeah for sure but uh i did i did like her you know she 
she's she's she had a nice smile. She's charming, and maybe she was on the recruitment drive for Scientology. Yeah, literally, the recruitment drive. Indeed, yeah. yeah. That's where she actually recruits. She just walks around parking garages looking for people who've lost their car yeah. and sinks it. You know, puts her hooks in. Yeah, people who are metaphorically and literally lost. Yeah, exactly. One other thing before we do go to the next character, I just like to mention. I love how there's that you know that in the second part of the episode that she's in the final scene that she's in and it spins around she has like a u-turn to drive back towards yeah. the car i love how they speed up the frames yeah it's a weird thing that they do from time to time it's it happens a few times a few times in seinfeld it doesn't really happen much these days in in tv but it's almost like a like a benny hill type thing you yeah, know where they yeah. like you know like where they're running in, in out of doors it's like yeah. this and it's i just don't get like maybe maybe it's a case of they can't film at high speeds due to safety reasons so they have to film at like a slow speed and then speed it up speed to make it look like she's like speeding off and being angry yeah 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 yeah. but it just it just looks so you know in the in 90 when did this episode come out 92 maybe it looked okay then because that was normal 91 91, but looking back now it's just like it's just so out of sorts with you know everything else yeah very on anyway no i thought it was i thought it was interesting having that yeah 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 it's it's just so noticeable is my point it's it's never like subtle it's just like why was it sped up for those five seconds Uh, it's strange Anyway, yeah. let's jump on to the next secondary, uh, the security guard. He's played by David Dunnard. He's known for the films Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Oh, sounds like a terrible sequel. And uh, the Mel Gibson film Payback. Now, the security guard, I imagine he has seen many people urinate because Jerry comments that he can't find a bathroom in the mall. There's 600 stores, but no bathroom in sight. And uh, I think the security guard probably sees people do it on a regular basis and probably more. Yeah, no, I reckon he's, he's seen it all and he's heard it all. Um, you know, all of Jerry's very obvious lies about why he needed to go um even though he didn't go you know he just has zero tolerance even though jerry didn't actually urinate so he didn't break any rules just the just the potential guilt you no, know it's urinate. like he did no he didn't yes he did he um in the, did he? yeah oh yes no, he no, did sorry no, george no. sorry I'm, I'm mistaking george oh that's george george, george is about to you know because jerry you know because yeah. jerry goes to the wall and then it cuts you know it, it, it cuts directly to jerry just finishing you know he's relieved and yeah. then it's caught yeah no, yeah, he no you're george. right okay. yeah yeah george yeah, I got mixed up with George. But yeah, I, I reckon he is like a hawk. I reckon he watches his security cameras. And if someone isn't walking directly to their car, if they're stopping and sort of like looking, I reckon he can pick a potential urinator out a mile away from his cameras. A, a I love how he doesn't even fight Jerry. Jerry has all these excuses. But he like some security guards would probably fight or argue or whatever, but he just sits there and he doesn't even take it. At times, he actually nods off almost asleep. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think he has any tolerance for, you know, for for. for bullshit i i got a sense maybe he's like ex-military or something because he's very no nonsense it's very like stone cold like he's like there's no emotion you, you, you know he's got a he's got a good poker face you can't really tell what he's thinking or feeling he just sort of says very little and he gets to the point and like i said he's got a he's got a very well he's got a no tolerance policy for any sort of urination or any sort of tomfoolery in his parking lot I he runs a very tight ship yeah uh, well to be honest with you i I, th- I just don't think he really cares i just think he's just like working in a job he does want to be in um, um, and he's like, oh, whatever, i got to deal with another hooligan who pees on the wall. Yeah, look, I would disagree slightly. I think he takes it very seriously because the fact that he caught George even before he, you know, even like, you know, before he took yeah, it out. To me, yeah, to me, to me, he would have seen George on his camera thinking, yep, that guy's going to pee. I'm going to intervene before he does pee. So the fact that he, he swoops down even before something happens to me demonstrates that he takes it very seriously. But when I, I think what he is indifferent to, though, is the bullshit that people try and spin to get out of it. Mm. I think I think he. The offense itself, he has zero tolerance for, but the the excuses or the after effect 
I think he's just got, you know, he just doesn't care. He's just like, yeah, keep talking, keep lying. I know you're full of shit. Here's the fine. You're not going to talk your way out of it. I love when Jerry uses George's excuses, like what George is doing. He goes, look, I'm telling you the truth. I don't know if you're a mycetitis and all that, but my parents are having a 47th anniversary. <laughs> and then George gets yeah. arrested and he walks in. And then he's like, my parents are having a 47th anniversary. I love when the security guard figures out that Jerry's Jerry or George could be lying. And then he goes, oh, what? So your parents are having an anniversary too? Yeah. And he's, <laughs> Red and he's like, prison. Red Johnny's prison, eh? Hey? And Jerry's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think he's a bit of a loner as well. Um, I noticed that when Jerry's talking, I think it's when he's talking about uh, the wedding anniversary, he's kind of half paying attention, but he's reading the National Enquirer, which is kind of like a bit of a gossip rag, a bit of a, like a, um, what's the word, a conspiracy theory rag. You know, it's always been considered a bit of a, like an alternative media source. So I reckon maybe, you know, he spends a lot of, he works a lot of hours on his own in the parking lot and maybe he's just a bit of a loner. I reckon he would, he would be the sort of person who outside of work maybe would be a bit more, uh, you know, not so serious. And I think kind of like the soup Nazi in a way that obviously is not as hard as the soup Nazi, but, you know, outside of the soup kitchen, the soup Nazi is a bit more relaxed and is a bit more personable. You know, when he befriends Kramer, you actually see like a human side to him. So maybe, you know, I, I could see him like in another situation, like being friends with Kramer. You know, he reads the National Enquirer. He's probably a bit of a loner, maybe a bit of a weirdo, not a bad weirdo, but just like a bit, a bit left of center and someone who could potentially be, uh, you know, friends with Kramer in another world or in another, in another life. Imagine if he caught Kramer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but see, I reckon kind of like the soup Nazi, like the soup Nazi has no tolerance for Elaine or George. Jerry doesn't really cross any lines. He follows the routine correctly. But with Kramer, he's so much more relaxed. Yeah. I think the, you know, if Kramer uh, got caught urinating, even if he didn't know him before he got caught, for some reason, because Kramer is, you know, he's obviously very different to most people. I reckon he would sense that and maybe like go a bit easier on him and like allow him to, you know, sort of come up with an excuse or talk his way out of it or maybe just give him a warning or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I reckon he would I reckon he would treat Kramer differently because he senses someone who's more akin to who he is. So he'd be the urine Nazi, not the soup Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe not like a Nazi, but just like a somewhere between like, you know, an accountant and a Nazi. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in there. Just a normal a normal guy, yeah. A grizzled cop. A grizzled cop, yes. Colombo. Yeah, basically. <laughs> He's the Colombo of parking attendants. Exactly. Or parking security guards, I should say. Nice, nice. Anyway, do you have any other notes on the security guard? No, that's it. One thing actually I did, it's not about him, but I was very frustrated. I searched high and low. I paused many, many times to see if he was wearing a name badge because I think there's been a character or two in the past where their credit has been, you know, like waiter or attendant or something like that, but yeah. they've actually got a name badge. I tried really hard to look for a name, couldn't find one. Nothing. So was that, actually, yeah, that was, was disappointing. Yeah, he was actually credited as security guard in the credits. Yeah, but mm. I've just in the past, there's been some episodes where people have been credited for, as their job, but when you actually look a bit closer, you, they do have a name. There wasn't a name for him, which was surprising. I thought there would have been a name badge on his uniform, but nope, not Maybe this kind. Not this time. Customers knowing his name. Mm. Maybe he's a bit shady. Yeah, true. Maybe he's got something to hide. He knows where the the black spots are for cameras, and he goes to beat up urinators. So Maybe he, he urinates himself. Cameras. He's like, this this is my parking lot, and I'm the only one who can urinate here. No. It's like a it's like a ter- maybe it's like a territory. Thing. The parking lot is my toilet. <laughs> exactly. That's... Only there's only one. This this parking lot is not big enough for the the two of us urinators. <laughs> That's it. Two of our bladders. 
Only one black can survive. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Anyway, shall we talk about the mother and the kid? Yes. The mother, she was played by Carlisle King. She's known for the films Babe and Finding Dory. Uh, the kid, he was played by Adam Wiley. He's known for his SAG-nominated role in TV drama Picket Fences in 1992. Uh, he's also appeared in Child's Play 2 and the 1999 animated version of The King and I. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so the mother and the kid. George thinks that the mother's actually abusing the child. And in actual fact, it's probably, I don't know, maybe she's just really upset with the kid because the kid starts berating George. Yeah, look, I I mean, it's hard to judge in those situations because, you know, I, I'm a parent, even though my kid's in another country. I've been at the end of my tether when I've been with my kid. And sometimes, you know, we're all human. We all have limits. So if your kid is being very like just a little turd all day and is just really, really pushing your buttons it is, you know, you try your hardest not to, but sometimes you do lose your patience and you do sort of get a bit frustrated and, you know, your your emotions get the better of you, even though you don't want to talk like that to your child. It happens to every parent from time to time. So at first I was like, maybe the mother's just a just like an angry parent and not very nice. But given the way the kid talks to George, maybe they were shopping all day and the kid was just being a little turd all day. You know, it's getting towards the end of the day. You know, maybe she had to be somewhere that night and she was just at the end of her rope. And, you know, even on the way to the car when the day is fine, over and she's got a bit of peace you know maybe once the kid's in bed in a couple of hours he's still being a little turd she's just like oh she you know i think i think she's just at the end of her rope and you know she just sort of she she just can't put up with it any longer so she sort of lets it out a bit which you know like i said happens even it's even happened to me yeah frustrating and me too yeah anyone anyone's parents have done that yeah yeah and i mean you know it's not to say that you know she's a bad mother or their parents are bad bad parents if they do that it just means that we're all human and we all try very hard to not let our emotions get the better of you but you know it happens especially when you've got a young kid i think you know they rascal yeah i think he's a little turd like a little dennis the menacey type just a little shit who probably gets into trouble all the time just a little smart ass you know just the fact that he like very confidently insults george and like completely fucking devastates him just with a few comebacks to me would suggest that he's a very you know he knows how to push people's buttons yeah because george says you know he says to george you're ugly and then george goes that's what you think and the kid goes that's what i know jeez that's yeah and and he's just so like like he just does it so confidently and so like he's so slick like there's no hesitation. It's just boom, done, straight in. And and George just George just doesn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> that's good. So I reckon he's he's very well versed at being just a little turd. A and little I think turd. that's why the mother was yeah the mother was frustrated. So, like I said at at the start, I was gonna sort of criticize the mother for for being uh, you know mean to her kid. But after more thought, uh, I think I think you know, she just reached the end of her rope like we all do. Yeah, and after what transpired, you thought, yeah, like you said, you thought the mum was angry, but then the kid's a little smart-ass. So, yeah, she's uh, yeah, she lost yeah. her patience again with him. Yeah, and I'm, I, I can imagine if that kid was like that normally, I mean, if he if he's like a total smart-ass to a stranger, even though George said you're ugly and, you know, sort of he acts like a child and he should do he should know better. If he's like that all the time and they were walking around the shops all day, I can perfectly understand why the mother would just be like, that's it. I'm I'm done. Get in the car. We're out of here. Yeah. Like I can I can understand why she would be at the end of her rope if if her kid is like that most of the time. Yeah, well, I don't have children yet, so uh, maybe maybe I will get that. Uh, maybe I will get frustrated <laughs> one day, and I'll I'll understand. Yeah, I mean I mean you know it's it's not it's not specific to kids. It, you know, if you spend enough time with a person, you know, you're bound to get a bit frustrated from time to time. So you know, it's it's a normal human thing to reach your limits and uh, you know and let emotions get the better of you. And I think that's what's happened in this case. Indeed. 
speed. Anyway, do you have any other notes on them? Yeah, I've just got a couple of notes uh, on the bodybuilders. Even though I'd only call looking at their bodies one a bodybuilder, the taller guy with the blue singlet, uh, the one who talks to Elaine. I think they're just like sort of young, arrogant, vain bodybuilders who don't really care about anyone's plight. Even though he sort of politely declines and he's like, you know, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I think they're just sort of like your typical meathead jocks, maybe not much going on upstairs. And for some reason, the way I think it was his mullet and his tan, which, you know, you don't really associate tans with New York. You associate it more with like California. Yeah, I was going to say he looks more like L.A., doesn't he? Even though they do film it in L.A., the the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked more like Los Angeles, California, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe he was on holidays in Jersey. Maybe he's from like even like Florida, somewhere a bit more sunny is my point. I think so too. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe it didn't look just, like he was from New York. <laughs> no, you know, and just just his tan and his body, and even the singlet he was wearing, it was very much a like a nineties like. New, uh, California kind of like tank. kind of tank top kind of singlet sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So my my guess would be that he was out of town. Oh, he was from out of town and he was just visiting Jersey for some reason. Or maybe he was from there and he you know he was visiting family back home or something like that. Or maybe he was doing a building a bodybuilding competition or something. Yeah. Maybe he was in, that's in, true. in New York or Jersey. Actually, yeah. I mean, if he wasn't from Jersey, that would explain the tan. Uh, oh, sorry. If he was from Jersey, is what I mean. Yeah. And he had you know typically paler skin, that would explain the tan because bodybuilders do uh, competitive bodybuilders do fake tans. So maybe it was that. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? That's what uh, we I did have that. That's it. That's it. The only other notes I had was the uh, the man who just bluntly refuses to help Elaine. Oh, uh, nothing nothing really about him. Dog. Yeah, nothing really about him, but just... <laughs> He's by far my favorite secondary character from this episode. Just the fact that he's just so like there's no there's no like there's no excuses. There's no like, oh I'm sorry that I can't. He just goes, No, can't do it. No, no. I just love the frankness. I I respect yeah, like, you know, the two girls who you know, the two young girls like laugh at her. The uh the 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 man with the the woman sort of you know, you can tell he you know, he's trying to like sort of worm his way out of it. Like he's like, Oh, I can't really do that. The bodybuilders are like like they're all like none of them are direct in in them saying they can't help her. Like they've all got sort of they're all trying to think of a way to get out of it, or they're just being they're just laughing at her. Whereas this guy's just like, no, can't do it. No, there's just no, there's no, there's nothing around it. It's just no, can't do it. Don't want to. Go away. Bye. And the one it. person who ended up helping them actually had an agenda. Exactly. So <laughs> the the moral of this whole episode is that everyone in a parking garage is a jerk. Exactly, especially in Jersey. No, I'm sure Indeed. I'm sure Jersey people are really good as well. Yeah, we're obviously joking. If you're yes. from New York or Jersey, which there's a chance you might be because we do get listeners from both of those places, Indeed. we love all of you. You're not jerks. We're just being stupid. Exactly. Anyway, any other notes on any other secondaries, mate? No, that's it. All right, bud. Let's take one more break and uh, we'll come back and wrap the episode. We're going to find out where the parking garage sits in our greatest Seinfeld episodes of all time and if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20. I'm telling you, I've had this condition since I was 11 years old. I've been in and out of hospitals my whole life. I have no control over it. Doctors have told me that when I feel it, the best thing to do is just release. Otherwise, I could die. Okay, where does the parking garage uh, sit in the episodes we've reviewed so far? Out of 125 episodes, my friend, number 44. Quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, no, it's a good episode. Yeah, I enjoy the bottleneck episodes that uh, Larry writes. They're uh, very enjoyable, and uh, yeah, there was lots of moving parts in the episode, and I enjoyed that there were lots of secondary characters, even though most of them were very brief and only in it for like 10 seconds. That was still very enjoyable. Yeah, in a way, in terms of like, you know, just a simple, pretty simple plot line and just lots of secondary characters characters like popping in and out it reminded me which makes sense because it is a larry 
very episode of kind of like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Yes, that's exactly what, what I thought because obviously we're, we're doing Curbcast at the moment as well. And yeah, I, I could see parallels between Curb and, and this episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think if this was a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, though, there would be scenes in other other locations, but it would be centered around, uh, you know, Larry would keep coming back to the parking garage for whatever reason, like his car is broken down there or something like that. Mm. He would just run into all these random people, you know, when he comes back there for whatever reason. Um, but yeah. Yeah. For an early yeah, season definitely. episode, this would work. Yeah, definitely a Larry, you know, you could uh, you could feel his fingerprints all over it for sure. You could see his DNA in, in the episode for sure. Indeed, yes. Yeah. For me, the episode sits at number 31. Oh, I really wow. enjoyed it as well. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, quite high. Yeah, no, really, really good writing. And I think, you know, as a writer, but I'm a writer, but as a writer, Larry David, uh, you know, when you intentionally make it hard for yourself it forces you to come up with quality because you know i mean walking around a parking garage i've been in that situation where you've lost your car and you're walking around and you're like thinking you know what number was it what level was it exactly the same situation but you know i didn't run into a bunch of random characters that you know and have memorable experiences I, I was just walking around looking for my car so it's a pretty hard situation to write good jokes in and the fact that he did and there was no really bad parts yeah when you when you force yourself to make it harder for yourself you know it, it, it produces more quality so and I think that's shown in this episode for sure absolutely yeah and you can tell because like you mentioned at the start of the episode in 1997 Seinfeld had another year or two left and the episode showed up in TV Guide's greatest episodes of all time so you know it really had a big impact when it came out yeah and I think it just captures that that sort of despair of walking around a, a, a you know a parking lot or a parking garage because it does all look the same you know it's a bit better these days i think they've made more of an effort to like you know to to like make each area different like numbers and letters and stuff and you can just take a photo um, or write down on your phone you know like x23 or whatever it is but i think what makes it such a good episode as well is that it captures that genuine despair and frustration of I swear I parked my car here, where is it? And wandering around aimlessly for hours. You know, I think that's what makes it good as well. Absolutely, man. Well, anyway, I'll read out my top 10 episodes while I'm here. I haven't read this out in a while. Um, so at number 10 uh, is the Bizarro Jerry. Number 9, the Soup Nazi. Number number 8, sorry, the Puffy Shirt. Number 7, the Fix Up. Number 6, the Fusilli Jerry. Number 5, the Opposite. Number 4, the Outing. Number 3, the Mango. Number 2, the Marine Biologist. And number 1, the Contest. Nice. I don't have my top 10 handy, so I won't uh, read those out. But uh, all you need to know is that the pen and the jacket are right up there. Absolutely. And Alton Bennis is your favourite secondary character. Tied with uh, Jack Lompus. That's it, yes. Anyway, do any of today's, speaking of secondaries rather, do any secondaries make your top 20 today? Uh, No, but honourable mention to the uh, man who just bluntly refuses to help Elaine and the uh, other core four. Yeah, he was my favourite secondary from this episode. What about you? No, none. But yeah, I I was going to say the guy who said that, he's up there with the clocks over there guy from the limo. Just like one or two (laughs) lines and he kills it. It's over there. Awesome. I haven't thought about him in a while. I know, I know, but he's, he's kind of up there with those bit part characters. Yeah, just a couple, like they're in one scene for 30 seconds, but they're very memorable. The tertiary characters, if you will. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the third layer of characters. Indeed. Anyway, I'll read out my top 10 secondaries. Uh, number 10 is Newman. Number 9 is Corinne from The Marine Biologist. Number 8 is Kruger. Number 7, Milosh from The Comeback. Number 6 is Bookman from The Library. Number 5 is Susan. 4 is The Soup Nazi, Yev Kasim. Uh, number 3 is Uncle Leo. Number 2, Frank Costanza. And number 1, George Steinbrenner. Nice. And again, I don't have my top 10 but uh, secondary characters, but like I said just before, my tie for number one is Jack Clompus and Elton Bennis. Grumpy old men. Indeed. Anyway, next week, my man, we're doing an episode of your choice. So what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're 
going to someone's house and knocking people over and uh, giving clowns a hard time with doing the fire. That's right, from season five, a very good episode. And uh, John Favreau, very memorable appearance in that one. Yeah, no, this is one of my all-time favorite episodes for sure. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it comes in uh, my episodes we've done so far and if any of the secondary characters appear in my top 20. And next week, I will actually go through my top episodes because I haven't done that for a long time. Months, probably. Months. I think it has been. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, if you want to give us your top 10 secondary characters or episodes, a few of you have already you can always send us an email bidwellbasketpodcast at gmail.com or if you want to tell us an episode that you'd like us to do that we haven't done yet we'd love to hear from you you can find us on social media at bidwellbask b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c and we are on patreon and paypal if you want to donate financially for the podcast and if you are on facebook and you want to uh, join some seinfeld fun head over to our seinfeld group seinfeldisms uh we've just ticked over fifty thousand members so uh we're soon to be the biggest seinfeld group on facebook which is amazing uh yeah so come along and start posting and interacting and uh, having a bit of a laugh especially in these more grim than usual times absolutely and all those links are in the show notes that's right they are so until next week this is one of your hosts steven and i'm ivan and uh we'll catch you on next week for the fire 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 (laughs) b-o-z-o